0: America's web the best in chat radio designed just
1: for you
2: welcome back into the doctor's lounge this is your host dr. Hal Schurz, on America's web radio and each week we come to you with the information that you need for you to fight for your health care freedom this show is produced and uh, and uh, supported by the docs for patient care Foundation which is a uh, non-for-profit um, uh tax-deductible organization. It is a physician-run, physician-led healthcare think tank, the largest and the only physician-led think tank by actively practicing doctors. And we fight for the doctor-patient relationship, for your healthcare freedom, and we give you the information each week on this show so that you'll be armed and uh, ready to fight for your healthcare Rights and do what's necessary so that uh, nobody takes those away from you. We need your support. This show um, is uh, not something that just happens, but we um, produce it, and we need for you to uh, go to our website at d4pcfoundation.org. That's Docs4, number 4, patientcarefoundation.org. And please give generously so that we can continue to bring high-quality shows like this to you every week, in addition to all the other great work that we do around the country. Well, today's show is going to be a lot of fun. It always is when we have... Uh, Old friends, good friends on our show, and uh, today I'm um, so delighted to have uh, our uh, good friend Sally Pipes with us. Sally is the um, CEO and president of the Pacific Research Institute and one of the foremost healthcare experts in America who has written extensively on healthcare, spoken on healthcare, talked on uh on on TV and on uh radio and written extensively she's a regular in uh Forbes magazine writing on healthcare and um, she has a new book out that uh we will discuss uh this morning um and uh dive into which is called The Way Out of Obamacare so uh Sally good morning
0: Good morning, Hal. Thank you so much for having me
2: on. Well, thank you for being on. Sally's coming to us live from the West Coast, so it is 5 a.m. for her this morning, and and uh, we certainly appreciate uh, her getting up and out of bed so that she can uh, join us and share some of her thoughts with us. So, Sally, The Way Out of Obamacare, how, you this is the latest in a series of uh, health care books that you have authored. Tell us uh, in a nutshell um, what uh, the way out of Obamacare is.
0: Well, it's a new book. Out, <clears throat> excuse me, that came out from uh, Encounter Books in New York. It's a broadside. Um, it's written um, in a way so that legislators, candidates, people in the media can get a um, easy to understand view of a replacement plan for Obamacare. So it's it's a a, a guide to Replacing Obamacare because, as you know, there have been many replacement plans that have come out of um, Republicans in office, those running for office, but nobody has come out yet with a single replacement plan. So I thought it really would be a good idea if they could get a grip, and so that they, the the candidates and then the the candidate who runs against the Democrat will be able to say this is a replacement plan that we stand behind. Because, as you know, this election could very well be very heated. Um, in the issue of health care because of um, either candidate Bernie Sanders or candidate Hillary Clinton, who are committed to, um, in Hillary's case, um, expanding on Obamacare and on Bernie Sanders' case, if he becomes the candidate, um, he's a big supporter of single-payer health care or Medicare for all.
2: It's it's interesting because you say that whoever runs against the Democrat, uh, this is the blueprint, but it's... uh, um, some some candidates um, sound very much like uh, the Democrat candidate.
0: Well, um, certainly in terms of you know, as you know, on the uh, in the New Hampshire primary on uh, this week, um, uh, Donald Trump, of course, um, trumped everybody. Uh, um, you know, including both Kasich and, um, and Jeb Bush, um, uh, Rubio and Cruz. So we don't know what's going to happen next in South Carolina. But uh, Donald Trump in the past has come out and said that he's a big supporter of single-payer health care, the Scottish system, the Canadian system, the Canadian system being the true single-payer healthcare system where private health insurance is outlawed under the Canada Health Act. So I think, um, you know, as, as Dan Henninger in the Wall Street Journal said today, it's time that the Republican candidates push Donald Trump on policy issues and issues of substance, because otherwise they're going to lose. So um, certainly I don't think that that uh, Trump has any idea what a real single-payer health care system is. He probably has the finest health care himself in the world, and he needs to be educated on what single-payer really means.
2: You know, it's interesting because I wrote an article about this several weeks ago on Town Hall about uh, his inexperience in health care, and it would seem as the CEO of one of the uh, largest real estate companies in America, that he would have a fairly good understanding about the benefits that he is providing for his, his employees, and what um, as as a businessman, what uh, what that means.
0: Well, you would think so, Hal. I mean, obviously, um, you know, he has a, a large number of employees, as you say. So he probably um, provide. I mean, I'm absolutely sure he provides. Uh, health coverage, whether it's, um, but it's, he, his company is probably self-insured under ERISA, which is the, um, the, the where employee, employers self-insure their their employees. And I'm sure, but I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that he probably knows much about the details of of the the benefits um, yeah. that his that his company provides. And so he probably isn't even doesn't even know whether his company employees are whether his company self-insures under under ERISA or or whether they just just have um, plans that they offer through regular insurance. So I don't know, but I found it interesting that he obviously is not that well um, informed on what what he provides for his own employees.
2: He would be well served to uh, call Sally Pipes, wouldn't he? <laughs> well, <laughs> or at least read your uh, book. I
0: think, I think that's right or you Hal, but I think the thing is, I mean, just listening to him, I think he's a person who really um, doesn't want to listen. Uh, to too many other people, and the campaign that he is running is not focused on on policy issues, except for you know he um, what he would do um, on foreign policy and build a great fence between Mexico and America um, to stop illegal immigration, and also place 45 percent tariffs on uh, goods coming into America from China, which yeah. um, <laughs> I think has <laughs> a very detrimental effect on on American and, jobs
2: and build and build the wall. And Ameri- and have Mexico pay for it?
0: Yes, right, exactly, exactly. So. <laughs> and it will be
2: huge. <laughs> but you know, I, what I've what I've, what I found interesting is that um, the um, in 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 midterm elections, healthcare is a front and center issue in 2010 and 2014, and it is a winning. Um, Issue for those who who um, are um, anti Obamacare, pro free market solutions, but then you get to presidential elections, and this issue seems to melt away and disappear. What what's up with that?
0: I know it's. it's it, I mean, Obamacare will be celebrating its sixth birthday um, on March 23rd this year. I, I don't know about you, Hal, but I just never thought we'd still be you know in the grip of fighting this, but. Um, in um, in the 2010 November elections, the Tea Party movement was very strong. Very much, many people voted um, uh, Republican because they were very upset with with um, with Obamacare and what what they thought it would mean for their health care. This election in 20, in 2012, um, when Governor Romney ran against uh, President Obama, he never you know Romney being the author of Romney Care, he should have come out strong against Obama and said. I thought the idea of Romney Care, a connector, all of this would have been good for the people of Massachusetts. But now we know emergency room use is up. Um, it's very expensive, um, and we haven't solved the uninsured problem. So you know we don't need to take this experiment and take it to the rest of the country. But he never did that, and he lost. But you know this year, um, the Republican candidates in the debates, Obamacare has been a very small part of the agendas that are. That are going forward, but I think once the Dem- once the Republicans uh, select their candidate and the Democrats do, I think it's going to be the big issue, that in foreign policy, in this in this election, because um, certainly Hillary or Bernie Sanders are going to make it a big part, because they want to take the country down the road um, to you know more and more control by the federal government of our own health care.
2: Well, I hope you're right. I I um, sense more and more that uh, this issue has uh, um, has fatigued the uh, the populace, and uh, you know, it's it just has been out there so long that nobody really is uh, thinking much about it, except when they have to pay their uh, insurance premiums or or they have uh, uh, six thousand dollar deductibles out of their own pocket. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, how I, that's true. I mean, the, I think the American people are now realizing that, remember, the president promised if you like your health insurance plan and you like your doctor, nothing will change. And he said the American people will see their premiums go down on average for a family by $2,500. Neither of those things have happened. Premiums are up. Uh, deductibles are up. And, and And people are finding it more and more difficult when they get an exchange plan to keep the doctor that they had prior and that's very upsetting to people. So it's, um, and we've seen certainly in the enrollment numbers that came out finally from HHS after the open enrollment period, which was from November 1st to January 31st, um, only 12.7 million people have signed up, which is almost half of the 21 million that the Congressional Budget Office had forecast uh, for this year. And that $12.7 million number is high because about 15% of people won't even pay for the premium. So that number is going to come way down, um, probably to about, you know, nine point eight ten ten million.
2: $10 And it's interesting that um, in today's Wall Street Journal, there was an article about the insurance companies crying about their um, losses uh, as part of the health care exchanges. And um I, I read these articles about the insurance companies singing the blues and and it just is laughable because what they're really saying is that this one segment of their business is uh, is in the red. But what they fail to mention is that Obamacare has resulted in such a um, a uh, reshuffle, a reorganization in health care. Um, in in there in in healthcare insurance, that the small insurers have gone out of business. The big ones have reaped the benefits. They've been able to increase their premiums, narrow their networks, and um, and they're actually making record profits on on the other books of business that that they uh, write insurance policies for.
0: Right, absolutely, and in the. Um you know, in when they um, in the um, negotiations um, in in November, of course, um, one of the things that uh, Marco Rubio was behind and was able to you know get through was the fact that um, the funding for the Risk Corridor program, which right. was designed to help insurance companies you know cover their losses, um, you know, under the exchange net by limiting that money. Of course, now the insurance companies, as you say, are are crying the blues, and we've got United, Aetna. And now Humana saying, you know, hey, you know, we're losing we're losing our shirt and we, we may get out of the exchanges in twenty seventeen because these companies are not the federal government. They can't go out and tax tax people to cover cover their losses.
2: No. So, no, but but they but what we need to do is if they want to get out of the exchanges, I think that's great. Then let's roll back the premiums to the way they were in 2008 pre-Obamacare. But we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get back in the next segment on The Doctor's Lounge.
4: Thank you.
1: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
2: Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Uh, This is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. I wanted to uh, take the opportunity to make an announcement. You're hearing about this first. This is going to be a... uh, uh, announcement about an upcoming meeting that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is putting on in association with the Texas Medical Association and with the support of the Physicians Foundation. And it is a meeting that is geared for our physicians out there in the audience. I'm sorry to, that that uh, others um, would not be... Um, uh, included in this only because it really doesn't apply to them. It's a, you know that we've talked on this show um, incessantly about direct primary care as an option for um, the uh, healthcare care um, marketplace and as the uh, lifeline to family physicians who are uh, leaving the, the, uh, the profession in droves because they just cannot stay solvent. Well, many of those doctors are going direct primary care, And uh, this is uh, actually saving their practices, saving their careers, re-energizing them, and giving them uh, a whole new lease on their practice, while at the same time providing the absolute very best care possible for patients who can't get a a, a doctor to see them anymore. And so this is uh, a uh, A uh, a meeting that we're putting on with the rock stars of direct primary care who are going to be talking about it and going to uh, do workshops in how doctors, especially especially those in um, primary care, can transition or convert their practices into direct primary care practices. And it will be in Dallas, Texas, on October 14th and 15th of this year, and you can read more about it. it they'll, we'll have upcoming information about this on our website. It'll be in the uh, all of the uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation social media sites, including CERMO, which is our um, communication uh, platform for physicians. So mark that out on your calendars. Uh, so that you can uh, attend this meeting. It will be very interesting format. The first 250 people who sign up will not have to pay um, a uh, a registration fee for this meeting. It will be free. So, so uh, mark it out and plan to uh, attend this meeting. My guest this morning is Sally Pipes, and we are talking about health care and politics. And we uh, Uh, have a very interesting uh, election uh, uh, season going on with respect to uh, all issues, but uh, health care notwithstanding. So um, there's an article that uh, Sally wrote uh, last week entitled, it was in The Hill and on Real Clear uh, Policy, and it was entitled Singer Payer Collides with Reality. So what is the reality of single payer, Sally Pipes?
0: Well, Hal, um, for people who don't know what single payer is, it means in health care there's only one payer, the, the federal government. And, of course, Bernie Sanders, the independent senator from Vermont, who, you know, is trying to get the Republican nomination away from, uh, to win it and to, to take it away from Hillary Clinton. And certainly in New Hampshire, he did a good job um, getting about 58% of the votes uh, earlier this week. But single payer means, as I say, that there's only one payer um, which would be which would be the government and under Bernie Sanders plan, single payer the single payer it would be the federal government. The federal government in the United States would take over all of health care, so everyone would be getting their health care um, through through um, a government program i e Obamacare for all and um, you know if you look at at countries like Canada. Canada, North Korea, and Cuba, I think, are the only three countries in the world that have true uh, single-payer systems, but it means the government sets a budget for what is going to be paid out on health care. So Canada spends about 11% of gross domestic product on health care. Here in America, we spend about 18% of our GDP, but in Canada, government sets that budget, and that's what they're spending, and what happens, the demand for health care is greater, the supply is lower, and therefore, you get long waits for care care being rationed and so that older people don't have the access to care because the budget money isn't there, and then a lack of access to the latest technology and treatment. So Bernie Sanders, this is what he wants, he believes, he's shouting for it, he's believed in it for many years, and as you know, Vermont um, had passed under Governor Shumlin a single payer health care bill, and last year they had to abandon it because they figured out that tax increases for such a plan would be so high that they, could, they couldn't do it. So they abandoned it. But Bernie is on a roll and, um, and pushing this. His um, plan, which would cost, he says, $14 trillion over 10 years, about $1.4 trillion a year. We all know that that number is probably low by a trillion dollars. So that's what he wants for the American people. But we would then have longer waits, ration care, and lack of access to the latest treatment and technology, as I just
2: said. And, Sally, you know about this because where were you born?
0: I'm from Canada. I'm, I was born in, in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. I worked um, at the Fraser Institute, which is Canada's premier think tank. And in 1988, they started a, p- a program called Waiting Your Turn, a guide to uh, waiting lists. And it's it's now in a, I don't know, it's been around for about 19, 20 years. And it started because um, the government, the federal government took over the healthcare system in, in the mid 70s in Canada. And by the mid 80s, all of the things I talked about were starting. And so they began this uh, publication, this survey, every year. And today, the average weight in Canada is higher than it has ever been, um, 18.3 weeks. That's over four months from seeing a primary care doctor to getting treatment by a specialist. And how that's why 52,000 Canadians out of a, a small population, fewer people in Canada than in the state of California, about 35 million, come to the U.S. each year. And pay out of pocket for treatments that they believe, um, if they didn't get, whether it's an MRI, a CT scan, knee surgery, a bypass surgery, that that would be detrimental to their health if they didn't didn't do something.
2: I, I heard a figure that over over um, a Canadian's lifetime, seventy percent of Canada has come to the U.S. to receive treatment. Is that about right? I think it is
0: absolutely about right. And these are people; these aren't just Wealthy people, not you know, not people with incomes like um, like Donald Trump has. These are middle income Canadians who are concerned about their health, and there are many many stories of, of people um, coming because you know the the waiting time. If you have to wait you know up over six months to get a colonoscopy when you think you have colon cancer, whether you you have to wait over four months to get an MRI and you think you have a brain tumor, um, it's it's important, and so Canadians have an escape valve, but what, what will be our escape valve if, if Bernie Sanders becomes president or Hillary becomes the president and they want to push more and more towards this kind of system? Where will we go um, to get our health care? We will um, no longer be the finest place in the world where people come from all over the world to seek treatment and get access to the latest uh, treatments.
2: You know, Sally, this is the Doctors' Lounge, and we talk about um, health care issues from the perspective of physicians so that uh, we give um, the average um, American a, uh, a a view of what uh, people in healthcare are talking about and thinking about. If we go to a single-payer system, who is going to be left um, to provide that healthcare? Because I, I see a... Um, if if they're going to go to such a system, you know the the natural progression, the the, the way thinking through this is that they would have to nationalize um, the the uh, workforce in in healthcare and um, and pay less and and uh, not and uh, not incentivize people who work very hard. So what's going to happen? Do you think?
0: Well, if you look at a country like <clears throat> like Canada, I mean, and Bernie Sanders has not talked about this at all. He's talked about how everyone will have coverage. He hasn't talked about the impact of such a, ch- a change on, on doctors. So in, in Canada, the, the federal government run, has the Canada Health Act. The federal government collects the tax revenue and transfers the funds to, out to each of the provinces who run uh, their own um, health care plan. So in British Columbia, it's called the Medical Services Plan of British Columbia, but what's interesting is doctors are employees of the of the really of the provincial government. They're really members of a union because their medical association in British Columbia or in Ontario negotiates with the government on what fees will be paid to doctors in the in the coming year. And in many cases, if a province is in a difficult financial situation, now what happens is they don't they can't they can't get an increase in what they're paid. And so that's why many many. Um, doctors in Canada have migrated, emigrated to the United States to practice medicine. But the, the worst part, I think, is that if, it, um, how you're the best uh, uh, pediatric urologist um, in, in the U.S. or in Georgia or in Atlanta, and I'm the worst, you would get paid the same amount of money as I do. There's no, It's like being a public school teacher in, in K-12. There's no, there's no reward for or being the best or being the worst, and you have a budget, and if that budget is finished at the end of November, if you do any more surgeries, you're not paid for them.
2: I hate to break it to you, Sally, but that's the way it is right now. It doesn't matter if I'm the best and uh, and Joe Smith is the worst. We all get paid the same because, really, what we're talking about is the third-party payment system.
0: The insurance companies are saying what they all agree to pay whether it's under an exchange plan uh-huh. provided by United or whether it's um, um, a plan that some an individual has through their employer or whatever, yes.
2: Right. When we tell this, when we when we sit down and explain this to people, like lawyers, for example, they can't believe it. And I use the analogy: What would you uh, say if uh, a first year law student was able to make the same amount as you, but? not make the same amount as you, but instead you had to make the same amount as that first year law student because somebody else was paying it and they were ratcheting down what you paid. You could no longer charge your $500 an hour or or $600 an hour. Instead, you'll get $75 an hour or $125 an hour. They just can't they can't grasp, you know, put their brains around that concept. And uh but that's where we're at right now and and the only way out of this mess isn't more regulation. It's less regulation, isn't it?
0: It actually it is. And you know, when you look at the mandates on on insurance companies, for example, I mean, there are about 2,100 mandates on insurance companies across um, the country. Most states have 48, 49. Um, and so whether it's in vitro fertilization, alcohol rehabilitation, hair prosthesis, all of these mandates add 20 to 50 percent to the cost of a health care plan. And then you take Obamacare on top of that with their essential uh, health benefit plan, adding things like free preventive care, free colonoscopies, free... Radiography, free uh, checkups, all of these things. Children being able to stay on their parents' plans till age 26. All of these things add to the cost of, of, of coverage, and so you know we're seeing a lot of the young people, the young invincibles. How we were once young invincibles, but we're no longer between 18 and 34. But you know, under Obamacare, they thought the administration and the president thought, well, all these young people will sign up on the exchanges and, and pay for coverage, the average premium this year being about close to $300. Well, these people are saying, I'm not going to pay $300 a month. I'm healthy. Nothing's going to happen to me. So I'll pay that penalty under the law, which this year is $695, or 2.5% of income. And um, that's a lot cheaper than paying $300 a month. And and so the the pool of people in the exchanges – tends to be older people and people who are, are sick, and yet the young people are only making up 28% of the market. The government said, and Obama and the administration, 40% of the young people had to be in the in the exchanges to make it work. And so you can see why the in, insurance companies like United and Aetna et cetera, that we talked about earlier, are suffering losses under, under these plans. They didn't actuarially, you know, figure it out, or they decided, you know, that's underpriced because we're going to get so many new people. And then they found out that the healthy people aren't buying in, and so they're, you know, they're losing money.
2: Yeah. Well, we've talked about all these problems, and uh, you've, um, you've given solutions in the way out of Obamacare, which I want to get into when we come back in the next segment in the Doctor's Lounge.
1: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
2: Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge with my special guest this morning, Sally Pipes, the President and CEO of Pacific Research Institute. We are talking about politics, health care, single-payer Canada, and her new book, The Way Out of Obamacare, And in the way out of Obamacare, Sally, you offer some solutions about uh, how we can uh, move forward. Why don't you uh, share some of those um, solutions in this roadmap?
0: Uh, Thank you, Hal. You know, we had many, many sort of uh, times over the course of the past six years that we thought Obamacare was going to go down um, because the Supreme Court had an opportunity to, the U.S. Supreme Court had an opportunity to, in in twenty in 2012 to say that the individual mandate um, um, uh, under Obamacare was illegal, but unfortunately they ruled the other way, and so Obamacare was around. And then in 2015, uh, in June, the court once again had the chance to uh, consider whether the subsidies being paid to those individuals on the exchange, um, which was the federal government exchange, healthcare.gov, were legal because the law specifically said Subsidies would only be available to those people enrolled in exchanges established by the state. But anyway, we lost that battle, and so Obamacare is still around, and it's 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 a big issue. And when someone like Newt Gingrich and a number of people in the mainstream media say, you know, the Republicans talk about repeal, they voted five times for full repeal. They voted for repeal of certain segments um, many times over, probably about sixty times. They don't have a replacement plan. So um, the problem is they they don't have one replacement plan. They have many, but they need to show the American people they're committed to repeal and replace, and they need to rally around a single replacement plan. And just yesterday, Fred Upton, who from Michigan, who is the chair of the Energy and Commerce Committee, said the House will have a replacement plan um, sometime um, late summer or by the fall. Uh, Senator Mitch McConnell. A leader of the Senate has said they're not going to touch this, and it's just too scary. They're worried about people being reelected. But I think the American people need to know what is a good replacement plan, and so that's what I've developed. My plan um, is quite similar to the one that Dr. Tom Price, whom you know, of course, um, because he's from Georgia, um, um, has put out. I have some differences. But the real issue and the problem in healthcare is, which all started during World War II, when wage and price controls were in, the, the government gave um, insurance companies, the, I mean, gave employers the right to um, provide health care to their employees, which would be um, on pre-tax earnings. So uh, people get their health care basically without having to pay tax on that income. Bas- but their income, of course, is slightly lower because employers have to stay in business. So this is the main dis- um, distortion in, in 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 the healthcare market because individuals if they if they go out to buy health insurance they have to buy it um, if they can get it and afford it with after tax dollars. So um the first thing is that we need to level a playing field now so that individuals can get their health care with pre tax dollars and then ultimately I would like to see us move away from employer based coverage. It's difficult because today sixty percent of Americans get their health care through their employer. They have no idea what it costs because they may pay nothing, they may pay a small copay, um, or they may pay part of the premium. But this is the biggest uh, disruption in the in the fact that we don't have a market in health care. And instead of having the subsidies which, um, um, uh, under Obamacare, which are based on income, those people earning between 138 and 400% of the federal poverty level um, are eligible for a subsidy on a sliding scale. I would like to see uh, refundable um, age-based tax credits for people. So, if you're between 12, uh, between 18 and 35, you'd get a, a, a credit of a of $1,200. 35 to 50 years, you'd $2,100. And if you're over 50, your age-based refundable tax credit would be $3,000. If you didn't spend that much money in your health care, you could put the difference um, into a health savings account, which really brings about putting impl- um, putting um, the patients in charge of their health care. That's putting consumers in the driver's seat. So that's that's the main sort of focus of my replacement plan. But we also need to, you know, um, expand health savings accounts. The amount that you can put in tax-deductible each year into your health savings account, which must be combined with a high-deductible insurance plan, um, should be tied to what um, people can put into their individual retirement plan. So it would be $5,500 for an individual and for those over... Um, Fifty, it would be uh, $6,500. Right now, it's $3,350. Also, for people over age 65, people in Medicare, they too should be able to use um, health savings accounts and put that money. Right now, they're shut out of that. Um, We need to get rid of um, the employer mandate, the individual mandate, the penalties that I talked about um, earlier. Um, We need to do medical malpractice reform. I know how you're very familiar with that because doctors, unlike what the president said during his campaign for Obamacare doctors practice all of this medicine um, and order all these tests because they want to line their pockets with with more money the fact is they're afraid of being sued and in PricewaterhouseCoopers Waterhouse Cooper said about 210 billion dollars a year is spent on defensive medicine so we need to do medical
2: malpractice I think reform. that's a I think that's a low number Sally I think the number is closer to um, 400. Um, billion, and it may actually be 600. And and those numbers come from um, surveys done um, through real clear politics. And uh, um, uh, it depends on, on, you know, who the source is. But regardless of who the source is, I think you're right. Defensive medicine, um, it influences how all physicians practice, and it drives up the cost of health care.
0: Absolutely. And then, you know, the um, People, we need to do Medicare and Medicaid reform. I mean, you know, people um, on Medicare today are finding people sixty-five and over, in spite of the changes made to, you know, getting rid of the doc fix and all of this. Doctors are facing increasing um, controls on what they can be reimbursed um, under 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 Medicare. And when when you look further out, I think there's going to be, you know, under the um, you know this whole idea of evidence based medicine, quality, value, it's going to put more controls. On 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 um, on doctors and and the treating of people age uh, 65 or over. I don't know if you saw this, Hal, but there was a bill introduced in Hawaii um, a couple of weeks ago saying because uh, so many so few one in three new Medicare eligibles are having a hard time finding a doctor because of these problems. In Hawaii, a, a legislator introduced a bill saying that doctors would have to take Medicare patients if this uh, uh, bill became law. So, but we do need. Medicare and Medicaid reform. I mean, the average American today um, doesn't live to age 65. They lived close to 80 or older. And so Medicare, when it kicks in at 65, has become a very expensive program costing um, about $500 uh, billion a year. It's on its way to becoming bankrupt by 2024. And, um, you know, a lot of people between 65 and 75 are still working. And then why should rich people like a Warren Buffett? be eligible for Medicare. We need to um, um, change the eligibility age. Because when this law came into effect in 1965, it just celebrated its 50th anniversary, people only live to 65. So we need to do premium support, we need to do um, means testing, and we need to raise the eligibility age under Medicare. Or the program will not be there for those seniors who really do need it, who are, are on very limited um, income. And Medicaid, the program for Low-income people, which the president um, you know, was so keen on getting these people um, covered, um, now um, all only um, 12 states. Um, there are only 12 states left that don't didn't do the Medicaid expansion for low-income people under the Affordable Care Act. But it's interesting what will happen when that federal funding runs out um, in um, uh, 2017. The end of
2: this year. It kicks yeah. in 2017
0: right and so you know what's what's going to happen i think obama's idea was and we've seen it as more and more states expand their medicaid programs even with those states with republican governors they've been coerced into accepting this funding um because this i think is what obama wants all the states to expand their medicaid programs then the states will say well we can't we can't cover this so we're going to get out of it feds take it over then the feds will have medicare they'll have Medicaid." They'll have the CHIP program for children. They have the Veterans Administration, which is really an example of a single-payer system. And look at all the problems um, that the vets are now seeing. So then that really takes us on that path down to uh, a single-payer Medicare-for-all system, which is, I think, what the president ultimately wanted. He said many years ago that he, if he were designing a plan, it would be a single-payer plan. So these are some of the things we need to block grant Medicaid. We need to allow you know, people on Medicaid to... Um, purchase insurance, just like um, regular American people do. So these are some of the things that I'm, I've talked about um, in my book, but it really provides a, a roadmap map for, um, for um, people who are already in, in Congress and people who are running for election on how we can reform our health care system, because we all want affordable, accessible, quality care, but we want to empower doctors and patients, not the federal government.
2: And I would agree with a good percentage of the things that you 've just said, but I would um, go further and um, the this none of these plans really um, free the marketplace they don 't they don 't um, allow for the entrepreneurial spirit of physicians to to emerge and to do the things that are necessary to actually lower the cost curve because all of these measures are still third party, and um, and and when you eliminate that, and you have patients in charge, and there isn't an insurance company saying what they'll pay, right? Um, and how much they'll pay, and how how much they'll pay, um, then then you then you can really be creative. And there are so many laws right now that restrict that entrepreneurial activity. Um, that are federal laws that are handcuffing the people who can actually fix this problem. And the um, the laws have been rewritten to favor the special interests, like the hospitals and the insurance companies, where the um, the the most ex- the hospitals are the most expensive point of health care delivery, and yet, they are amassing more and more control over the healthcare uh, industry, and uh, unless we can get um, roll back um, those those restrictions, the things that prevent doctors from being able to work together, and. Um, create opportunities for patients at lower cost and better care, we're never going to see the, co- the cost curve come down and it's just going to um, be a bigger problem and, and uh, we, we may um, risk being a single payer. But we're going to finish up with this conversation in the last segment when we come back into the doctor's lounge.
0: Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m.
1: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
4: Thank you.
1: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
2: We're wrapping up this segment of the Doctor's Lounge with uh, my special guest, Sally Pipes from Pacific Research Institute. So, Sally, we um, left off talking about the third rail of health care reform, which is really a, a revolutionary remake of health care, putting patients in charge and, 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 um, and knocking the special interests off their pedestal so that we can free the marketplace. What, what's the likelihood of that happening?
0: Well, I'm entirely in agreement, Hal, with what, what you've said. And, and, you know, we've seen, and when you talk about hospitals, you've seen more and more merging of hospitals, doctors um, closing down their private practices and joining hospital groups. And then you have certificate of need laws, which, which make it very difficult for new hospitals to start up, to have more competition. And then you have forty nine percent of graduating a resident specialists joining hospital groups, not going out and setting up their own practice, or getting together with a group of friends, medical other specialists, and joint starting up their own own practices. So there's more and more consolidation, which is leading to you know, um, you know, less competition, and so you know things like telemedicine, um, concierge medicine, all of the things that are being developed all over the country in Silicon Valley and Massachusetts. So many wonderful ways to, you know, new techniques and ways to reduce the cost, but instead everything's being consolidated, and you're seeing more and more control by major hospitals and hospital groups. So, but I totally agree with you. We need to, you know, Open up, open up the market and let the market actually work. Because there are two industries in this country which are basically controlled by the government. One is the K-12 education system, public education system in this country where we're scoring so badly on math and English scores relative to other countries. And that's an industry controlled by the government. And then in healthcare, where 50% of healthcare is in the hands of, of the government through Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, and the VA system. So, I mean... Why do, you know we need to you know get rid of rep- repeal Obamacare, replace it, which can't happen until after um, the um, inauguration on in January on January twentieth, twenty seventeen. Um, let's hope um, that we have a new president who not only um, you know supports repealing Obamacare, but one who believes in replacing Obamacare, you know, with the things that we've just talked about, allowing doctors and patients to be in charge, not not the government. But it's going to be difficult, because as you know how more and more young people, you see this in this election campaign, more and more young people are saying, we're entitled to free health care, we're entitled to housing, we're entitled to free college education. I mean, this this is going to be the destruction of this country. If more and more people are going to be dependent on government, who's going to pay the taxes to provide all of these freebies? I mean, it's very, very distressing. And will the, young, the best... The young people, the brightest and the best, go into medicine as as unless we open up and allow um, competition and choice. The more and more of these young docs, you probably see it, you know, want to join hospital groups because they'll have a set salary. They know they can pay off their debts with a certain amount of, of money, and they can work nine to five. They, they don't need to be. They don't want to be working, you know, like you, from five in the morning until eight at night.
2: Well, Bernie wants to forget their debt, so we don't have to worry about that issue, at least.
0: Right, exactly, and you and I can pay more because we're not paying our share.
2: <laughs> that's that's right. So I would I would um, uh, be remiss if, since we're talking about single payer and uh, and and turning into Canada, um, if um, I didn't ask you to share your personal story about uh, about the Canadian uh, healthcare system and how it let your family down.
0: Yes, Hal. Well, thank you. Um, You know, and it's interesting, I I was quite optimistic in Canada that there would be some changes when Stephen Harper was the, the Prime Minister, a conservative, but just like Margaret Thatcher in the UK, of all the wonderful things they did, neither one of them touched healthcare. And this goes back to when programs become entrenched, they're hard to get rid of, because if something isn't working, people still don't want it taken away from them. And so, you know, this is one of my worries with Obamacare, when people are not happy but they think they're getting something for little money or for free, you can't change it. So in Canada, um, the, the health care system um, the, where the federal government is in charge and the provinces run their system, as I said, care becomes rationed, waiting times um, over four months from seeing primary care dot getting treatment by a specialist. In my mother's case, um, she felt in uh, 2005, in the, in the early summer, that she... <clears throat> Um, was having um, colon problems and she thought she had colon cancer. And so um, she went to her GP, what, what, a general practitioner, of primary care doctor called here, and um, he felt around and then he said we well, couldn't feel anything. He ordered an x-ray and nothing, of course, showed up. And I said, Mom, you don't discover colon cancer by an x-ray. You need a colonoscopy. So she finally called her doctor back and said, My daughter says my impatient American daughter now, says, I need a colonoscopy. And he said, well, you're a senior. You're over 65. We have so many people in their early 50s and mid-50s who are waiting to get colonoscopies who already have symptoms, and so we cannot get you a colonoscopy. So Canadians not being impatient and being very patient, my mother said, well, that's the way way it is. And so by November, she had lost um, 30 pounds and she called me on a Sunday morning and said she knew she had colon cancer. She was hemorrhaging. And so we got her to the doctor, to the hospital in an ambulance. She went to the emergency room, two days in the emergency room, two days in the transit lounge waiting for a bed in a ward. My mother got her colonoscopy in the hospital but died two weeks later from metastasized colon cancer because that's how you ration care and you control costs by denying care. And so that is... There are so many stories. My uncle died of a non hodgkins lymphoma because the drug, Rituxin, which was one of the new drugs um, back in the, um, around 2003, new drug in America that was having good results with non hodgkins lymphoma. The head of the Cancer Control Agency in British Columbia, my cousin's a doctor, he knew him. He said, well, what about getting Rituxin for my dad? And he said, I've never heard of it. He got back to him two weeks later and said, well, that drug is not on the formulary in Canada because the price is too high. You can, your dad can go to Seattle, and he could afford to go to Seattle um, and get it at the um, Fred Hutchison Cancer Clinic. But there, but of course, you know, when you're older and you're not, you're weak, you just don't want to move out of your own space. And so he, too, died because of lack of access to the latest um, treatments and, and, and drugs. So this is what will happen in this country when there's a government global budget of what's going to be spent on health care and we know that the demand will be much greater than the supply.
2: And in England where they have national health care, they actually put a price on whether or not treatment is worth instituting based on age and they use actuarial tables to make that calculus and so they they feel that if you get to a certain age and they have to spend more than forty five thousand dollars on a treatment, that they will it's it's um, worth it to to uh, institute some other treatment, maybe instead of a knee replacement, giving um, anti arthritis drugs or or pain medication in the case of cancer, giving palliative drugs instead of curative. Therapy, and uh, that's what happens in a society that um, that that um, promises everything to everybody at no cost.
0: Right, and that and the funny thing is, in England, the organ the, the board that you know decides these things, quality adjusted value of life, is called Nice, the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence, and it's exactly the opposite. It's denying care, as you said, based on a patient's. Age and so when you go to England, um, the, there are of course wonderful newspapers. There are so many newspapers, but every paper, whether it's a conservative paper like the Telegraph or the Times, whether it's a very liberal paper like the Independent, every day every paper is filled with stories of people who are have di- whose relatives have died or people who are denied care or can't get care. I mean, it's a complete catastrophe, and, and, and we and with- do not want that.
2: No, and what's interesting is the rest of the world, save Can- and even Canada, for for that matter, you have to you have to um, admit, are moving away from the socialized medicine model because they know that it doesn't work, and they're getting so, so much pushback and so much flack. So they're looking at ways to liberalize it, just as we're embracing it and trying to move towards it.
0: Well, and there was a professor, <clears throat> a law professor in Calgary who said, you know, finally there's going to be a Canadian export, the Canadianization of the American health care system. I thought, <laughs> oh no, so that's the last thing. Canadians are wonderful people and it's a wonderful country to visit, but we don't want their health care system. And so this yeah. election, Hal, is so very important that I'm becoming very nervous about, you know, who's, who's at the top of, of each ticket in terms of the polls right now.
2: Have you had an opportunity, has anybody even, uh, any of the candidates, shown any interest in uh, educating themselves about some of these health care issues? Have you ever been contacted or some of your colleagues in health care policy?
0: Well, I think many of us have been um, uh, contacted, and I've, I helped a couple of people early on. They're no longer um, in the race. I know a couple of our friends in the movement are working with um Senator Marco Rubio, but we haven't seen anything. I mean, he came out um, what mid mid to uh, in the fall of last year saying he had peace in Politico. He believed in you know some of the things we've talked about, but he hasn't come out with this is my plan. Jeb Bush actually has a pretty good plan um, on, on health care reform. I was asked to help, but unfortunately I couldn't go to Washington at the time, but he's not doing well um, in the polls right now. So, um, But certainly I mean, the person that needs educating uh, from with our views how is uh, Donald Trump who's sort of at the top of the polls right now but really I think until we get um, a candidate um, and there's a big fight going on between our, the the Republican candidate and the Democratic candidate they want to stay away from health care because as you know it's complicated it's like unraveling an onion many tearful moments they don't they don't want to talk about it you know it's it's very it's a complicated subject it's
2: a third rail of politics unfortunately well we are we are at the end of our time i sally i want to i want to thank you for your generosity getting up early and and spending an hour with us talking about health care and i hope you'll come back
0: Absolutely, Hal.
2: Thank you so much. Onward, we fight. Onward. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us in the doctor's lounge and remind uh, those of you who um, are um, primary care physicians to mark on your calendars October 14th and 15th and plan to come to our um, uh, uh, direct primary care meeting, which will be a landmark meeting. You'll hear much more about it in the upcoming months. Thank you again for being with us in the doctor's lounge. And until next time, this is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz.
0: This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.